Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29 is where we'll be this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn there with me. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29 this morning as we come to the conclusion of a series through the Sermon on the Mount. If you're visiting with us for the first time for these past months, we have been journeying through Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount in Jesus's words contained here in Matthew's gospel. We come now to the conclusion of the sermon, the ending of the sermon. And I think it's appropriate to sort of ask, what's the best way to end a sermon? Uh, There's some of you in this room that have been attending church for decades. Some of you have attended churches in in traditions where you heard Sunday morning sermons, Sunday night sermons, and you went to some version of a prayer meeting, heard another sermon. You might have listened to other sermons from Bible studies, podcasts. So there's some of you in this room that have heard hundreds of sermons. There's some of you in this room that have heard thousands of sermons. So I know no better crowd than this crowd to ask, What's the best way to finish a sermon? You know, I asked somebody the other day, I asked, who's a preacher, who's a good friend of mine, I said, I said, what do you think the best way to finish a sermon is? And he said, no doubt, quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Don't drag it out. Land the plane, land the plane. You know, there was a time where sermon conclusions were rather predictable. Some of you grew up in a tradition where the pastor would have three points and they were all alliterated with the same first letter. And so there was power and there was potency and there was provision. And by the time you would get to the third point, you would know that the, 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 the plane was coming down for a landing. And then the runway was this well-lit poem, three points in a poem. And so once poetry came out of the preacher's mouth, you could sort of fumble for your keys and begin to make your plans to get off to to lunch. Those were the predictable days of sermon conclusions. Some of you have had the great privilege to worship in the African-American preaching tradition, which I think knows how to finish with a flourish. They, They finish sermons with exclamation Marks And so often in that African-American pulpit tradition, you would have this back and forth, this give and take between the preacher and the congregation that ends with this grand exclamation point at the end. I'm going to be honest with you. In my own preaching, I would say sermon endings are rather elusive. Even on Sunday mornings, I'm still sort of debating what's the best way to land. At times, I come in too fast. We're cruising about 35,000 feet, and all of a sudden we lose altitude, and uh, the, the masks drop out, and the next thing you know, we're, we're doing the benediction, and off we go. And it's sort of a sermonic crash landing. That happens with David Elger's sermon sometimes. More often, more often, there, there is fake, false Landings. I, I will land the plane and think to myself, you know something? We need to take off again. I've got another five minutes. We're going we're gonna to hover around. And you, and you think you see the airport. You think you see the runway. But I've got to do a little homiletical hovering over the airport to get us 
down safely here. So, so yes, sermon endings can be elusive. All of us have sat through some crash-landed sermons. Some of us have had some uh, sermons that sort of hang around the runway uh, maybe a, a few minutes longer than you would prefer. And here we have, here we have the master communicator. Here we have Jesus in the exemplary sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and the question is, 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 how do we finish this sermon? What, what's the best way to land the Sermon on the Mount? And here we read in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus' conclusion. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So ends the Sermon on the Mount. To understand the ending of the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to answer the question in verse 24, what are the words of mine that Jesus is referring here to? Because here what Jesus is saying in this passage is everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. We want to be wise men and wise women. And to be wise, we must be like this man who built his house on a firm foundation. That firm foundation was not only hearing the words of Jesus, but actually doing the words of Jesus. So the words of mine that Jesus is referring to in verse 24, well, of course, they're what he has said in what is recorded in Matthew 5, in Matthew 6, in Matthew 7. It is Jesus saying, I've told you all of this. Now, what are you going to build your house on. Well, build them on the application of my word to your life. Now, of course, the words of mine of Jesus have an immediate context. Of course, he is talking about all that he has said in the Sermon on the Mount. So we can go back and and say that he wants us to apply the Beatitudes. What does it mean to live a blessed life? He wants us to apply what does it mean to have a proper understanding of the Old Testament law. He wants us to apply how not to pray, how not to give, how not to fast, how to pray, how to give, how to fast. He wants us to apply that. He wants us to apply to our life how we face anxiety in our life. He wants to apply to our life the the broad road and the narrow road that he talked about last week. So all these words of mine is everything that has come before in this sermon. That he wants now to be lived out in our lives. But there's a broader context. Because Jesus, the incarnate Son of God who is speaking as as a voice, as the scribes say here, and those who are listening there all were astonished at his teaching, verse 28 and verse 29. Why? Because he teaches as one who has authority. 
That authority is what is inherent in him as the incarnate Son of God who is eternal. And so as God the Father speaks, so the Son speaks. So he speaks with that type of authority. And as Jesus speaks in his words, aren't we thankful that God is not silent? So the same Father that sent his Son to speak these words is the same Father who sends not only a Son, but sends his Spirit, a Spirit that opens up our ears to all of his words, Genesis to Revelation. So there's a sense in which the words of mine aren't just Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but it is all of God's word that is Paul writing to his protege in the ministry. Paul writes to Timothy and says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all of scripture is God-breathed. Just as he spoke into existence out of nothing, creation, so the Spirit speaks into existence the words that we have before us, translated into English from the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, to where we can hear the voice of God in our language. And when we not only hear this word, but we apply this word, so we are building a house on a foundation that never falters. Notice that foundation in verse 24. The foundation is two men who have the same vision who build two houses. Now, it's important for us to understand, yes, the the house is a literal house. Uh, They they want to protect themselves from the elements of of outside. They they, they want to be able to, to lay down at night and not have rain falling on their forehead. But there is a sense in which that this home is a metaphor. That, that our houses are, are more than just the structures that we build around us. They're, they're more than just the place that we lay our head down at night. Our homes, just as this parable teaches here, our homes are, are what they represent. It, it represents our values. It represents our pursuits. It represents our dreams. It represents our memories. It represents our lives. So what Jesus is saying is, is what are you building your lives on? A shaky foundation or a rock-solid foundation? You see, we are all home builders, even if we're not all home owners. You're building a home. You're, you're building a home with the choices that you make. You're building a home with the career that you have chosen to, to travel down. You, you're building a home with your thoughts. You're building a home with your words. You're building a home with your hobbies. All of us are home builders, even if we're not home owners. And so here we have Jesus say, when you build your home, you best think about the foundation that you're building your home on. You can build your home on the hearing of God's word and also the application of God's word. And you're going to be like the wise man in verse 24 or like the foolish man of verse 26. You can build your home your pursuits, your livelihood, your career, and you can build it on a shaky foundation. It is a foundation that hears God's word, but doesn't implement God's word, doesn't apply God's word. Both men hear the same word. Both men hear the same foundation. The difference is one applies that word and the other ignores that word. If you don't mind, I've got a little show and tell for you. Choir. I've got my bag here. Everybody doing well here today? Oh, it's heavy here. So when I travel, I carry this on with me. And so maybe 13 years ago or so, we had our first child, and I said, 
as oftentimes can occur when you move from just being a husband to a father, you say, I- I've got to be more serious about physical fitness and what I eat and those kinds of things. And so uh, my son inspired me and I said, you know, every year I'm going to run a race. And so I signed up for the country music marathon in, in Nashville. And so since then, uh, I've, I've tried to have a race every year or maybe two races every year that I, that I train for and want to get some wisdom about. And so one of the ways that I get that wisdom is just these different books about running. All these books are running books right here. Uh, the Hanson Marathon Method, really, really good book about running right here. Here's Hal Higdon's book on marathon, the ultimate training guy. Here's Ph.D. Dr. Jack Daniels, Daniels Running Formula. If you're a little bit lazy one year and you don't want to win a, a full marathon, here's the Hanson Half Marathon training plan right here. You want to think about running and what it means for your body. This is the new rules, new rules, not the old rules, the new rules of marathon and half marathon nutrition from Matt Fitzgerald. Now, the thing about this, this very embarrassing choir is that I could have brought a whole nother bag of running books. I'm, I'm not exaggerating that. I could have brought a whole nother bag of running books. I have a problem. I do. I really do with all of these books. I, I love books. And so every year I'll get these books and every year I'll read it, and there's really good information. They're really good training plans. They're they're real good chapters on pacing. They're real good chapters on how to build a good foundation that you lay a 16-week training plan on. There's good things about nutrition. There's good things about pacing in the actual marathon. There's good things uh, in, in all of these books that are really, really helpful. But I tell you this, all of this information without implementation in my life makes no difference at all. All really, really helpful information. This, this book right here by Tim Noakes, MD Tim Noakes, The Lore of Running, it is 922 pages long. There's a lot of good information. But if I don't get out of the bed when my alarm clock goes off in the morning, all this information is for nothing. All of this information, if it doesn't lead to implementation, there will never be transformation. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, probably inspired by the very words of Jesus, said it well. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. What does it look like to deceive yourself? James, what what does it look like to deceive yourselves? What does it look like to be a hearer only and not a doer? And James, if he was here, he would say, you know something, my half-brother, he had a parable about that. Let me tell you about two builders. One heard, applied it firm foundation. One heard it, ignored it, a shaky foundation. In information, we live in a wealth of information in the 21st century. All good. You can go to church and hear messages rooted in God's word. Praise God. We hear songs and we learn songs and we sing songs rooted in God's word. Praise God. We're able to be in life groups and hear 
teaching that is rooted in God's Word. Praise God. We're able to listen to podcasts of favorite teachers of God's Word, uh, sermons by favorite pastors teaching God's Word. We're able to have this wealth, uh, whether it be your Kindle or whether it be, obviously, as you see, you, it, the printed book is always better. It's always better. So. And there, there, there's no shortage of wonderful Christian authors that you can uh, read now. But all of that information... If it does not lead to implementation in your life, you have proximity to the Word of God without intimacy with the Word of God, Jesus himself. And this is the fatal fallacy that we can be close to the things of God without allowing the Word of God to make any difference when our alarm clock goes off on Monday morning. Jesus gives us a vision of two builders, one who builds a foundation that never falters. Why do we need that foundation that never falters? Why? Because the storms, they always come. Notice in this passage in verse 25 that the rain fell, the floods come, the winds blow. They beat on the wise man's house and they beat on the foolish man's house. The wise man's house rooted in a firm foundation. It did not fall. Verse 27, the same rain, the same floods, they come, the same wind blows and the foolish builder, his house, it falls. And Jesus says, great is the fall. So this foolish man, he built a big house and great was the fall. Because he built it on a shifting foundation. You, Christian, you follower of Jesus, cannot build the home of your life in a zip code that is immune to the storms of life. There's no area. There's no area code, there's no zip code that you can build your life that is immune to the storms of life. Don't believe. Don't believe the false teaching that to be a follower of Jesus gives you this divine poncho that keeps you dry from the storms of life. It's not true. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't make you immune to the calamity of life. Bob Dylan, 45 years ago, said a hard rain is going to fall, and a hard rain falls for all of us who are followers of Jesus. None of us are immune to the storms of life. Now, there are times where the storms of life are behind us. There are times where the storms of life are beside us, and there are times where the storms of life are ahead of us. We might be in a different place in relationship to the storms of life, but the storms of life, a hard rain is going to fall. No, it might look different. There are some this morning who are living on the Louisiana Gulf Coast, portions of the Mississippi Gulf Coast, its rivers have risen to these record highs. You have a tropical depression that comes and turns into a named hurricane named Barry, and there are literally people that are facing the storms of life with the floods that they are going through right now. And, and, and there are times where there's a literal one-to-one -one correlation, but oftentimes we go through the storms of life, and, and at times there are sort of spring showers of a disagreement with a coworker, but, but we feel the rain falling. At times, it's more of a thunderstorm, and it is a thunderstorm of marital 
discord and we feel the rain falling. And there are other times where that storm is like a tornado that we never saw coming and we never could have predicted that would hit our home and we receive that phone call at 11 o'clock at night where the person says to us in the sleep and of the dead of night there has been an accident and it's in that moment that a hard rain is falling. But being a follower of Jesus does not give us immunity to the calamities of life. If taking up your cross and following Jesus is following one who went through the Garden of Gethsemane, who went through a trumped-up trial, who died a cruel death at the hands of, of a Roman government for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins, do not be surprised that we will walk in his shoes and we too will face trials. James says, blessed are you when you face various trials. This is what refines us. This is what shapes us. This is what molds us. This is how God shapes us more and more into his image. And all of us know that. All of us know that. None of us want to go through storms. None of us frolic to funerals. None of us wake up and say, bring on a storm, nor should we. But with hindsight, none of us in this room that are followers of Jesus cannot see how God uses those weather patterns that we know to be storms to make us depend more fully on him. He never wastes your storms. And here we have Two men facing storms. One house withstands the storm. He wakes up the next morning. Yes, there's shingles that are missing. Yes, he's got some branches down on his property, but his house is standing. The other man wakes up in the middle of the night, and the house is crumbling around him because you have two different foundations. And what I want you to see is a foundation from God's word that always fails. It always fails. Verses 26 through 27. Notice the contrast. Verse 24, he tells us this is a sure foundation. It's hearing God's word and applying God's word. And here we have two verses. The book in this parable here, the very end in verse 26 and 27, that are a sharp contrast to what's come before in the wise man. The wise man, his foundation was on the solid rock. He actually is living out the words of Jesus, putting them into action. The other man, he builds his home. He builds his life. He has his dreams. He has his pursuits on hearing God's word but not applying God's word. And at the end, it is a sandy foundation. And a sandy foundation is a shifting foundation. Anytime that you build your home on anything less than the firm foundation of God's word, applied to your heart, to your hands, to your finances, to your work life, to everything that you do, you are building your home on a shifting foundation. There's, there's no other way to it. And oftentimes, the shifting foundation that we build our life upon is when we take things that are God's good gifts and we give them ultimacy to them. We take things that are supposed to be lowercase and we capitalize them. So what we say is, is our children are a wonderful, precious gift from the Lord given to us. 
But when we take our children and we put a capital C in front of our children and we end up building our lives on the foundation of our children's pursuits and dreams and hopes, what we begin to see is it is not a sure foundation. It is good and worthy, but it is not the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. There's some of us in this room who build our foundation upon our career. Our career is a good thing. To work is a good thing. God comes to Adam and he says, name the animals. God comes to Adam and he says, work until the Garden of Eden. That's all before Genesis chapter 3. Work is good. We're not going to sit back, kick back in heaven. We're going to have duties and responsibilities in heaven because we are created to be productive. We're created for responsibility. But when we take our career and we make our career capital C, it becomes an idol. And what occurs with an idol is it is not something that is solid. So if all of your hope, all of your dreams are in capitalizing that C before your career, when corporate comes and says there has been a downsize because of the shifting trends of the economy, and your supervisor takes you into his or her office and says, I'm sorry to tell you this, but here's your severance package, and you have three more weeks, you realize then that my career not a firm foundation to build my home solely on. And all of us are tempted to build our foundation on good things that are not ultimately God. And for all of us that are here, we, we have to inspect our foundation. And when is it good to inspect your foundation. Well, 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 certainly, it's good to inspect your foundation anytime, any, every time. We, we don't necessarily want to get out and inspect our foundation when the storms are blowing. It's a little too late at that point. So for all of us that are here, we need to ask ourselves, what are we building our foundation on? Is it the firm foundation of God's Word applied to our life, or is it the shifting sand of good things that are not ultimate? Before I moved here, I lived in a portion of Mississippi that is known for foundation issues. If you've ever lived in, and I hear that this is true in Louisiana, I hear that there are portions of Alabama that have what's called uh, topography, it, it is Yezu clay. So let me tell you about Yezu clay. Uh, Yezu City is the gateway of the Mississippi Delta, and there's a portion, a region of central Mississippi that is known for when there's too much moisture, there's an expansion of the clay. And when there is you know, drought and et cetera, it is a restriction. So the clay that you build your house on, it breathes, and that's not a good thing. If you're ever driving to Fort Worth, Texas, you will go through portions of central Mississippi that feel like a absolute roller coaster. Why? Because of the breathing of the clay, the Yezu clay. Now, the thing that's interesting, if you've ever bought a house, you've got to be really careful to see how far down they have rooted your house past the Yezu clay to something that's more permanent. They actually have to sometimes clean out the Yezu clay and put in other things so that 40 years from now, or four years from now, or 10 years from now, you're not going to have signs 
of a shaky foundation. You ever lived in a house that you begin to see the, the, the signs that your foundation is not sure? It, they're little signs. It, it's rarely ever that you just wake up and there's a hole in the floor. I mean, you, you, what happens is, is you go back to your son's back bedroom and there's a hairline crack that you begin to see right above the window. And then you begin to notice that your front door, you have a difficulty to get it past the sticking point, but you, you begin to say, you know something, I just need to slam it a little bit harder. I need to pull it a little bit harder. And then one day you begin to notice that your children are able to get a ball and they're to stay on one side of the kitchen and they're able to roll it without pushing it, but that they just put it right here. It just rolls to the other corner and you realize a foundation shifting. And oftentimes in our lives, we ignore our foundation, but cracks will always show in the exterior of your life. You see, oftentimes we wait till the house crumbles. And I'm here to tell you about Jesus's words to remind us that times, there are times where there are hairline cracks in our relationship with our spouse that show our foundation is on shifting sand. At times at work, there, there are little things that you think no one notices, but these little imperceptible things, you begin to see that you're a little bit out of alignment. And now I'm here to tell you, look at your foundation. You can build a home that has the best fixtures. You can build a home that's got top-of-the-line appliances. You can build a home that has this grand dining room. But if your foundation is not sure, you will have problems. And that is true not only physically, that is true in the spiritual home that you are building. How many of you in this room have, have gone to San Francisco? I'm going to show you a, a show of hands. I'm so envious. I've never been to San Francisco, but all of you have been to the Golden Gate Bridge here. So if you've been to San Francisco, I'm sure that you have taken these iconic photographs right at sunset to, to, to see what really is emblematic of the West Coast and of San Francisco. And we're, we're really acutely aware of this, especially in the last two weeks, that the Golden Gate Bridge is built on the San Andreas Fault. 7.1 earthquake last week, shifting ground. The architecture is built for the uh, Golden Gate Bridge in such a way that it gives, that the Golden Gate Bridge can sway up to 20 feet so it doesn't crack and crumble. And so all that you see right here isn't what is the solid foundation of the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, all the cables and all the towers and all the roadway, it is connected to these towers. And you see the towers there, but those towers are connected to these anchor piers. And these anchor piers go down deep. And so what holds the Golden Gate Bridge up, even with shifting sand, is how deeply it goes beyond what you can see above the ground, above the water. How, how deeply are you planted in God's 
unshakable foundation. How deeply are you planted, not only in the hearing of God's word, but the implementing of God's word? I ask you, when, what holds you up when the storms of life come? What holds you up when you feel you know, the, the feet under you begin to shake and you begin to feel the ground beginning to shake here? Are you rooted in something that is unshakable? Are you planted in his firm foundation? How deeply is your life anchored to his word and his way? My prayer for all of us that are here today is that we this morning would join in the chorus of that wonderful, wonderful hymn, living a life where our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, that we would dare not trust the sweetest frame, but we would wholly lean on Jesus' name. Why? Because on Christ, the solid rock, we stand all other ground, all other ground, the sinking sand. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning understanding that your word is a word that speaks to our hearts. May we not only be hearers, but doers of your word. Take this word, let it pierce our hearts so we would not only hear, but apply. Not only be hearers, but doers, rooted in your unshakable foundation. It's in your name we pray, the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.